We start with Premier John Horgan's cancer diagnosis announced yesterday. The Premier has throat cancer. That was confirmed after biopsy surgery last week. Horgan now embarking on a series of radiation treatments through next month. Now, this all started a few weeks ago when Horgan found a lump on his neck. And here's what the Premier had to say about that last week. A few months ago, I felt a lump in my neck, which led to a visit to my doctor and a series of tests over the past few weeks. These tests have revealed a growth in my throat that will require surgery tomorrow morning. Any further treatment will be a result of pathology, but I am confident that I will have a complete recovery. Premier John Horgan speaking last week. The biopsy results are now in, and the news is not the one that people wanted to hear. People were hoping this would be a benign growth. Uh, it is cancer. Let's check in now with Mike Farnworth, uh, the Deputy Premier in B.C., uh, one of the Premier's longtime confidants and friends in the Cabinet. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Mike, thanks you for coming on today. Yeah, my pleasure. Good morning. Okay, Mike, it's nice of you to take the time to talk about this. It's difficult days here for the government and, and for the Cabinet with the, the bad news that we got from the Premier yesterday, although it looks like you know he's confident they can be treated and he can get through this. How did you um, how did you find out about this yesterday? How was this communicated to you? Um, well, the uh, the premier had informed me. Uh, we uh, we talk on a regular basis, and he told me uh, what the diagnosis uh, was. He also told me, you know, the the, the treatments that he was going to be expecting. Um, and it's like anybody, you know, any any family member, friend, when you hear. Um, that it's cancer. It's it kind of hits you in the gut. That's not something you want to hear. But that being said, uh, he was very upbeat, uh, in good spirits. Uh, the prognosis is good, and he wants to get the the treatments uh, underway. And and uh, he's was spoke to caucus yesterday uh, by Zoom. Yeah, how did that go? What was that like when speaking to the caucus? It was, you know, everyone's supportive. He was, he's, you got to, everyone stood up and applauded him when he finished, and because he's, you know, as he, he he was joking. He says. I got to go through these treatments, and he says, "I'm speaking to you now because uh, I'm not going to be able to do much talking uh, while the, the, the treatments are going on." And as, as you know, he's often jokes; he does like to talk. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was in good spirits, and and he uh, he's um, he's prepared uh, for the treatments, and he he wants to get them through, and he wants to get back, and he's going to be participating, um, you know, um, but, uh, but via Zoom in terms of, of caucus meetings or, or cabinet, and uh, you know, he's a fighter. What can you say about uh, the seriousness of the situation here? We got a, a brief a brief statement from the premier's office yesterday. It appears they caught this early. Is that your understanding too? Yeah, my understanding is is they caught it early. That the yeah. prognosis is 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 very positive uh, and very confident uh, that uh, the treatments uh, are required. We'll we'll deal with it. Um, you know, we have incredible cancer treatments uh, in this province. Uh, BC Cancer does an amazing job, and um, you know, as I said, the uh, the premier is is upbeat and confident, and he's got the full support of caucus behind him, and the, the well wishes that he's received from people right across the province and indeed across the country is have really have really touched him, and and you know, he's 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 in a, he's in a good way. Speaking to Mike Farnworth about the Premier's cancer diagnosis announced yesterday, last week, uh, Premier John Horgan appointed Mike Farnworth as uh, the Deputy Premier. 
Uh, it'll be his job to to step in uh, if, uh, for any reason, the the premier is uh, receiving treatment. Let's have a listen here to the premier making that appointment yesterday, and talk more to Far- Mike Farnworth here in a moment. Here, here's Horgan last week. I felt that this was an appropriate time uh, to tap Mike on the shoulder and say, uh, "Hey, man, I I might need your help." Uh, and he, of course, readily agreed. He's already got a very full job as the House Leader, uh, Minister Responsible for Public Safety, ICBC, and a range of other issues. But Mike has, is the most experienced member in the legislature. Okay, uh, John Horgan appointing you last week, uh, Mike, as the Deputy Premier. What was that conversation like when the Premier came to you and told you about that? He said, um, well, he said, he says, oh, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And um, he, then he, he said, look, he said, um, they've got this lump. It's being, you know, it's, uh, they got to do the biopsy. They got to look at it, figure out what's going on. And he says, um, I may need to undergo treatment if it's not the right um, diagnosis, if they find there's an issue there. And he says, so I want you to be deputy premier just in case, uh, an abundance of caution. And I said, oh, absolutely. Um, and so my role is to, you know, to support him in whatever way he needs. And so, for example, on Wednesday, um, I chaired cabinet and, um, you know, uh, government is functioning. It's business as usual. And uh, we all just want him to get to the treatment and to get back to being premier. And how, how is this going to work with your role going forward? Like, for example, on things like the, the Council of the Federation, which is the, the conference of provincial premiers, which meets a few times a year is that something that you will you suspect you might you may be stepping in there i i think from when that's scheduled i think the hope is is that the premier would be uh, able to to take that but i do know that there are some other um event uh, uh events or or things in the calendar that where they sort of say look we think you're going to have to be doing this i know the uh the governor general is coming out here um in i think in the next couple of weeks um so i've already been uh tagged saying you'll be the one that will be that will be you know meeting them and dealing with that but uh at the same time it's you know cabinet meeting uh would uh be chairing uh chairing that which i did on on wednesday but basically whatever the there's a um you know uh, an issue or the meeting that they um will ask me to to step in for the premier and then that's what i will do Right. Speaking to Mike Farnworth, BC's Deputy Premier, we're talking about Premier John Horgan's cancer diagnosis uh, announced yesterday. As you know, Mike, as, as you mentioned, there's been an outpouring of support for the Premier across BC, across the country, and across partisan lines here, too. So it doesn't matter which party you're in, when you're in a situation like this, everyone is hoping for the best for John Horgan. Here's Shirley Bond uh, wishing the best to the Premier here, the Liberal leader. We are relieved to hear that the prognosis is good. And uh, I want to, on behalf of our entire caucus, uh, ensure that the Premier knows that he has our support. We will um, be uh, thinking of him in the weeks and months ahead. Um, And I certainly look forward to a time when he will return uh, in good health to the legislature so we can continue the vigorous debate that he and I uh, usually engage in. All right, Shirley Bond there, the interim Liberal leader. Mike, you've been a member of the legislature for a long, long time, and you've worked with the Liberals for over that period. I'm sure you've heard a lot from uh, your opponents there, I guess, across the the political divide, reaching out to you, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the, the legislature is often seen as a very partisan place, which it is, but the reality is we're all people, we're all human beings, and there's not a you know, a family in this, uh, in this province 
or anywhere who's who hasn't had a family member or friend touched by cancer and uh you know the, the the liberals have been have been very supportive in terms of their good wishes uh to the premier and um you know i have a lot of respect for shirley bond and uh no it's uh it's 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 you know what it's what the public expects and uh yeah. and it uh, shows the you know that we're all we're all people Mike, thank you for taking the time today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, Mike Farnworth there, uh, BC's Deputy Premier. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's continue talking about the Premier's cancer diagnosis announced yesterday. Premier John Horgan has throat cancer. Let's talk to one of North America's top experts now, Dr. Terry Day. He's the chair of the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. It's a nonprofit organization of doctors, hospitals, cancer survivors, they advocate for the prevention and treatment of head and neck cancers. I'm pleased to welcome them to the show. Dr. Day, thank you for coming on today. Hi, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it a lot. So when you hear throat cancer, I mean, I guess all cancers are kind of scary, but throat cancer in particular, how how serious is, is a throat cancer if it's detected early? Well, you're right. It, it early, it's very treatable with either radiation or robotic surgery with a relatively high cure rate. And people have called it an epidemic now in North America, and it's uh, most commonly caused by a virus, the human papillomavirus, but tobacco and alcohol can be contributing factors as well. Yeah, I know that the Premier is a, an ex-smoker. I know he stopped smoking more than 20 years ago, though. Is it possible that you know, smoking can cause can cause throat cancer even years or decades after you quit smoking. Is that still possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. But your chances of getting throat cancer from smoking decreases with every year since you stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you think about the, the treatment that's been announced here is a, a regimen of uh, radiation uh, treatments. Can you talk a little bit about radiation treatment, what that is and, and what it does? Well, absolutely. I, I am a surgeon, so um, I don't provide radiation myself, but it has equal cure rates as surgery and oftentimes provides a better quality of life and functional outcomes than having to remove the cancer. So, uh, we're absolutely encouraged that uh, it was caught early and, and that radiation is going to be an effective treatment. Yeah, and as I understand it, the way radiation works is that it's usually a daily therapy that goes on. You would receive the the radiation every day, and it's a very short burst of radiation that would be applied, like just even just a minute. Is that is that how it works? Yes, it's it's usually about six weeks, Monday through Friday, and it takes a few minutes each day. And during the radiation itself, you don't even really know it. It's uh, invisible beams of of X-rays being directed and targeted right at the cancer cells. So it's a very effective treatment for uh, this type of throat cancer. Right. Speaking to Dr. Terry Day from the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. We off, we also hear when people have cancer, sometimes they receive chemotherapy. Um, what is the difference between radiation and chemo? What is chemo? Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of people talk about it and uh, the different treatments for cancer. And now it's surgery, it's radiation, it's chemotherapy. And now there's even a new uh, opportunity to be treated with what's called targeted therapy, 
and immunotherapy, which uh, sometimes fall into categories like chemotherapy. But chemotherapy goes through your veins in an IV, and it, it's also referred to as systemic therapy because it can reach every cell, um, and it provides a medication through your veins uh, to hopefully kill the cancer cells. So, uh, yes, that's one of the treatments, and and oftentimes it may be used in this type of cancer in, in more advanced cases. What is what is the uh, the survival rate typically for throat cancer? Yeah, like like we talked about, it's uh, you know when it's early, you can treat it with just one modality like surgery or radiation, and then when it's advanced, when when we talk about advanced, it's usually a stage three or four versus an early, which is a stage one or two, and the cancer statistics are available. Um, on numerous websites in Canada and the U.S., um, and it's very stage-related. So the earlier the stage, the better the cure rate. The later the stage, the lower the cure rate. Right. Uh, but it sounds like this one was found very early. Yeah, that's, that's very reassuring. Do- speaking of Dr. Terry Day, Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, can, can throat cancer be prevented? Yeah, you, you're right on target. That's the key here. I mean, I think, I think this is the message, uh, that if it's from tobacco, obviously avoiding tobacco, but the most common cancer now called an epidemic is the HPV throat cancers, and it can be prevented with a vaccine in childhood, and it's the HPV vaccine. It was just recently approved in the U.S., uh, now up to age 45. And, uh, you know, also a self-exam. So if you go to headneck.org, uh, there's uh, examples of self-exam. So if there's a lump in the neck or throat, a sore throat that keeps going, uh, have it checked by a specialist. And, and obviously the vaccine can prevent the HPV throat cancers now. Just got one minute left here, Dr. Day. What would you say about the importance of early detection? Like if you have something, let's say something, a lump on your neck or anywhere in your body, you should not ignore that, right? Get it checked out? Yeah, get it checked out. We usually say if it's there for two weeks or longer, get it checked out. There's no harm in getting it checked out. And and early detection not only uh, finds it early and gives you a better cure rate, but it reduces the side effects of the treatment. You may need very uh, lower amounts of treatment if it's caught early. So your quality of life is better and the cure rate's better. So it just makes common sense. Dr. Day, thanks for your expertise today. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys, uh, and I hope it goes well. Thank you. Appreciate that, Dr. Thank you. Same to you, Dr. Terry Day there. He's the chairman of the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, talking about the Premier's uh, cancer diagnosis announced yesterday, and everyone hoping for the best. It sounds like they got it early. It sounds very like a hopeful situation here. Okay, there we go. That's the sound that we're talking about, right? Listen to that. The gas powered. Listen to that thing go, whoa. All right. That's the gas-powered leaf blower, right? You hear that a lot, of course, at this time of year. And every time, every time this year, at this time of year, we have the same debate. Should gas-powered leaf blowers 
be banned. No one really likes to hear the sound, but does it make sense to ban this equipment? Sarah Kirby Young thinks we should. Vancouver City Councilor, here she is uh, for her argument for why these leaf blowers should be phased out. Have a listen. It's inevitable, um, and it's just a question of doing it in a way that is not punitive to people in terms of the availability and the cost of the electric equipment. Um, this is not new. I think that the city formed a task, an urban noise task force back in 1997. So, you know, 25 years, almost a generation ago. And at that time, leaf blowers and the noise and the disruption to sort of um, quality of life and urban living came up. Um, and it's been going on ever since. So, you know, we see our public body starting to ban them. We see a lot of companies that have gone all electric now in terms of landscaping. Um, and so it's a quality of life issue, but it's also a noise pollution issue, and it's not good for the environment. Okay, Sarah Kirby, Young Vancouver City Councilor there, saying gas-powered leaf blowers should be phased out. You heard her make the case there for electric leaf blowers instead. And we talked about that on the show yesterday. Man, did we get a lot of response on this, and we wanted to hit this one again. Now, my guest yesterday was TJ McClure. He's a buyer for Slag Building Supplies, and this guy is basically a dealer in electric leaf blowers, and he says they're awesome. Uh, here's what he had to say about them yesterday and how long the batteries run. Because they will have to have more batteries because your runtime at, at, uh, at full full blow is going to be you know probably about depending on the unit you buy in the battery package you know anywhere from 15 minutes to 25 minutes okay so if you have an electric leaf blower that runs for 25 minutes i mean if you just got a small backyard maybe that's not a big deal but if you're running like a professional landscape company you're working all day long multiple properties can you actually do this? Can you run this electric equipment? Let's talk to a professional about that now. My guest is Kyler Reed. Kyler is the owner of Lawn Care Plus. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Kyler, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're in Coquitlam, right? Yes, we're based in Coquitlam, but we service properties all over the lower mainland. Okay, cool. And I know you've been in this business a long time, right? Yeah, I've been in this business for about 20 plus years, yeah. Okay, my dad we used to be a landscaper. I know, I know you guys do, got a tough job. Um, yeah, let it, me, it is a tough job, yes. Yeah, but at least you're working outside and sometimes. I mean, if it's not raining, I guess it's okay. Hey, Kyler, let me ask you about the gas-powered equipment. Do you use the gas-powered leaf blowers? Yeah, we use gas-powered leaf blowers. Um, the electric equipment, just like you said, it's kind of good for the um, single-home residential use, but for large commercial applications, it's just not where it needs to be right now. Right. So why do you say that? Do you think like the, the battery powered blowers are just, they don't last long enough, the battery charge? Well, like let, let's say, say for example, um, still equipment produces a BR600 blower, which is about 900 CFMs, which is cubic feet per minute. And a, the best electric blower that I can find is producing about 600 CFMs. So um, a little uh, like over half capacity and then the runtime of a BR600 is about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, or an electrical backpack blower is about, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes. So there's a lot more um, problems that are associated with the runtime, the power. Uh, we need the volume of the air to be able to move the leaves in the wet season. And uh, it's just not up to par just yet, the technology. Yeah, so if you were forced to use electric equipment, let's say they banned uh, these gas power blowers in Metro Vancouver. 
and you had to use those less powerful electric blowers, like that would just take longer to clear the leaves away. Well, would we're you? we're 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 looking at an increase of labor, so we'd have to yeah. almost double our manpower on site. So the cost of the strata councils would exponentially go up. The demands on the labor force would go up. Um, we're expecting more of an already stressed labor force. We're trying to find more people that aren't available already in the province. And we're saying to our current staff, hey, look, listen, you guys are going to have to work a lot harder. The lease season is going to take a lot longer. And to hire new people and say to them, hey, guys, this job is really difficult and it's only getting harder. It makes it less attractive to hire people. I, I can imagine that for sure. Speaking to Kyler Reed, he's the owner of Lawn Care Plus. They're based in Coquitlam, but they work all through the Lower Mainland. Um, if you have, okay, let's say you had to use electric electric blowers. They passed this law. I mean, how would that work? Would you have to like lug around like dozens of batteries and be swapping so, out batteries all day long? So I've been thinking about this a little bit. So the, the, the challenges with respect to charging this equipment is where it kind of is the breaking point for a lot of companies. So we would have to have dedicated charging units in a trailer and charge those battery packs on site potentially. And we would have to be using probably a gas power generator to power those, oh. those, those, those uh, battery packs on site. So it's kind of two steps forward, one step back kind of deal. Oh, um, no. Also when we head back to the facility, so say we're going to have to be able to charge, let's say a thousand batteries a night, we're going to need to rent out a large scale industrial property and we're going to have to have a lot of power available to us. That's going to be a ton of overhead and those kind of facilities aren't really available for landscapers right now. Oh, man, you're giving us a dose of reality here. Uh, I love it. Let me play another clip here for you from uh, TJ McClure, Kyler. Sure. So he uh, sells uh, gas or he sells electric battery powered leaf blowers and he says they're great. Now, he says one of the big advantages of them is they are quieter than the gas powered blowers. Here's what he had to say. I'm going to say they average around 20% quieter. 20%. Still making noise, though. I mean, it's not like they're silent. Absolutely. You're not yeah. going to get away from that. You have a, a yeah. fan spinning at high, at high speeds. It's, it's just going to be, you know, noisy at some point. But, you know, it's not the same as the gas. And, you know, the gas has a bit of that, that higher pitch that you hear come through it as well. Okay. So I guess the, the point there I was trying to make with them is, all right, I guess they, you could argue they're quieter, but it's not like they're silent. They're still making no. noise. like. Yeah. And then there's most battery powered equipment is um, weather dependent. So weather resistant, there's nothing resistant about, about the weather in Vancouver. So these things are going to get water. They're going to start to rust. They're going to start to fall apart. The components are not going to be as durable as they would be in say a drier climate. Vancouver, um, we're using these backpack blowers every single day for close to eight hours a day. We're, some sites we're putting four and a half tons of leaves into the truck per day. Um, wow. it's, it's, it's incredibly hard work and we need, to, we need to try and get through it as timely and as efficiently as possible. So if we were to transfer into the electrical spectrum, we would have to say, Hey guys, just blow off the lawns into the gardens and we're going to be raking out these gardens for the next five months. So they talk about the safety issue and the concern about uh, health and safety. Well, put someone on the end of a rake for the better part of, uh, five months and see how their wrists and their elbows and their backs are doing there's a lot of different challenges that are, are presented 
Yeah, boy, and you, you, you're raising points that I that hadn't even occurred to me, which I, which I think is great. Um, when you're running those elect, those gas-powered backpack leaf blowers, do you ever get complaints? Like, do you ever get people walking by and give you like a dirty look? Like, oh, we hate these things. They're so noisy. They're so smelly. Yeah. So, like, let's say a strata council, a strata building has about a hundred units. There's going to be, I don't know, two or three homeowners that are going to be frustrated by basically anything and we know that going in but there's 97 other homeowner units our homeowners that are grateful for the work that's being done so if the squeaky wheel is going to get the grease so be it but yeah. it shouldn't happen that way we should be playing to the masses not playing to the whiners okay uh, Tyler. last question for you um you mentioned some of the potential costs for running this battery powered equipment and how, the, how they'd have to be charged and where you would store all this equipment, all these batteries you have to charge up every night. Have a listen to this. So this is TJ McClure again arguing that the electric units are actually cheaper to run. Have a listen here. There's no maintenance. There's, uh, there's practically zero maintenance to a blower. Um, you basically plug in your battery and you go. Uh, with electric, or sorry, with a gas unit, um, obviously you have fuel you have that you have to, you know, have and run, and there's the danger factor of having fuel, but you got spark plugs and you got, um, you know, carbonation happening. So they have lots of maintenance. So the maintenance factor is, is, is 100% different. Okay, so what do you think of that argument? He's saying that the battery-powered units are cheaper to run, they're easier to run, they're low-maintenance. I mean, maybe if you're running one at home, like, a, a few times a year, but it's different yeah, when you're so in the business. Exactly. I mean, these things are delicate about a battery pack. If you drop a battery pack or mishandle a battery pack and it cracks, that battery pack is essentially ruined. Also, most of this electric equipment is water resistant, like I talked about before. Yeah. Water resistant doesn't work in Vancouver. We've been dealing with, you know, 50 mils plus day in and day out for the past six weeks with respect to our lease season right now. Those components are going to get wet. The circuit boards are going to get wet. The electrical systems are going to get wet. We're going to have to fix those things or they're not going to be repairable. So, I mean, like I said, single-use applications for, for a home, it makes yeah. sense. But for large-scale commercial-use applications, it's, 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 it doesn't really make sense. Kyler, thank you for coming on today to talk about this. I appreciate it a lot. Thanks, Mike. All right. This is uh, one of those eternal debates in Vancouver, especially this time of year, the gas-powered leaf blowers, should they be banned? We've been covering this on the show yesterday and today. Yesterday, we talked about the electric leaf blowers and the advantages of those. Uh, today, we get the reality check there from Kyler Reed, Lawn Care Plus, about why the battery-powered leaf blowers just aren't up to snuff. They won't cut it. Uh, he thinks you got to stick with the gas-powered blowers. Let's go to your calls here. Chris in North Van. Hey, Chris. Um, I'm afraid I'm with the, the gas brigade on this one. Uh, I was yeah. asked recently to mow a friend's lawn with an electric lawnmower. It just doesn't have the robustness that gas-powered products do. Um, you know, if, in, in, on an industrial use, these guys got to take them all over the place, recharging out on the road. How are they going to do it? It's just not realistic. I'm sorry. Yeah. One wins it. No, I'm starting to think the same thing that if you have a, a home unit that you're just using on your own property, and that's one thing, but telling these landscape companies that are servicing hundreds of properties that they got to go electric, I don't know. Let's go to Eric in Vancouver. Hey, Eric. Eric, what do you think? Batteries, they don't last very long. You know, how many cell phones have you had die on you because batteries deteriorated after 100 charges? 
I mean, they, they just, they're not strong enough. They're not, until there's technology that has improved the batteries, uh, gas powered is the way to go for the industrial use for sure. Okay, I mean, Eric, thank, thank you for the call. Uh, they are getting better, I guess, the batteries. That's what we heard yesterday from our expert, but maybe not good enough at this point yet. Chris and Victoria. Hi, Chris. What do you think? Hey, Mike. Um, I, I'm, I'm an old timer of a tree service over here in Victoria, and I've been in this business since like 79 and uh but and i was real old school but i got turned on to electric saws blowers uh leaf leaf blowers and the hedge trimmers about three four years ago and they are the best thing since sliced bread really okay oh yeah and and the batteries especially are way way improved uh we use them out in the rain uh a lot and i've had zero problem with them batteries cost a lot yeah. Uh, they're like, but if you get the, you know, the full powered ones, I mean, if you look in construction, you'll see everybody in construction using battery powered saws and they swear by them now. So I, I definitely have a different opinion about all of that. Well, when you're out on the job during the day, do you have to lug a whole bunch of backup batteries around with you now and swap them out all day? Is that what you do or? We, we bring a little charger with us because we, we have four tools that we use, uh, with the batteries. And right. depending on what, what it is we're doing now with a leaf blower, I will say the leaf blower uses up the most electricity of any tool. But mm. our other tools, we're, we're never, we might charge one battery during the day. They take 20 minutes to charge. You plug them in to somebody's house. But no, we don't have a whole pile of batteries. We have one battery for each, each tool and, uh, we can swap them out if we need okay. to, but, uh, they're awesome. awesome. Okay. Chris, thank you for the call. Annette in Vancouver. Hi, Annette. What do you think? Oh. Hi, um, leaf blowers are a complete nuisance. They just don't only blow the leaves, they blow the dust and the dirt everywhere. Uh, suction of more of the vacuum would be a much better idea. Here in Vancouver, I find that people, they, have, they have power over these blowers. They go round by the bank on concrete, blowing in the doorways, blowing the dust around. They're, they're blowing dust in lanes. They're not using them properly. And as I say, a suction would be much better. At the end of the day, a rake is better. And in <laughs> Vancouver, we need the street cleaners to come around and pick up our leaves that are in the road. All right, Annette. Th- thank you, Annette, for the call. Mike in White Rock. Hi, Mike. What do you think? Hey, Mike. Well, you know what? If you really think about it, most business owners are not stupid people. So they're going to get the best option. So when the industry is able to make a battery pack that lasts, all that kind of stuff, and it's easy to charge, more efficient to charge, the businesses will switch, just like with the cars. Stop forcing us to go electric cars. Make a great electric car that lasts more than four hours, or in my case, make me a a commercial van that'll last from an electric, and we will switch, but stop forcing us when the technology is not there yet. And the key word is yet. Thank, thank you, Mike. Squeeze one more in. Jim, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Hey, Jim, uh, Mike, it's uh, Jim from Sydney here. Yeah. Um, the battery technologies changed completely. There is a line, it's a commercial line made by Ego, and it's, they have a backpack battery that, that's claimed to last between five and seven hours. So, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's there. I mean, Google it. It's, it's available. I, I thank you. For, thank you. In business, so thank you, Jim. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the seasonal time change now, which happens this weekend. Yes, it is fall, so it is time to fall back. Turn your clocks back 
by one hour before you go to bed on Saturday night. So yeah, you will get an extra hour's sleep this weekend as we move from daylight time back to standard time effective Sunday morning. Now, we've talked a lot about this on the show, and this is one of the eternal debates in our province. Are you sick and tired of the time change? Spring ahead, fall back. Why don't we just pick one and stick with it? There had been a movement in British Columbia to go to permanent daylight time. Uh, Some people think we should stay permanent standard time. Well, let's talk about it now with my guest, Dr. Joseph DeConink, Emer- Professor Emeritus, School of Psychology, University of Ottawa. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Joseph, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Okay, so we're moving from, we're on daylight time right now. We're going back to standard time, right? So we save an hour, we fall back one hour. Is Is that a good thing for us right now? Because I notice like, in the morning, the sunrise, it's very dark in the morning. Like sunrise in Vancouver today was 8.08 a.m. So it's very dark in the morning. So is it a good thing we'll get some more, a little more daylight in the morning? Actually, it's an excellent thing. It's uh, oh. for uh, researchers around the world who've studied the issue of time change and uh, standard time and daylight saving. It's uh, it's uh, the best thing now we're returning to normal sunlight type of situation where we have enough uh, light in the morning. It's equally uh, between uh, uh, the morning and, and afternoon with the maximum light at uh, 12. That's the ideal situation. That's how humanity has evolved. Mm. When we talk about daylight saving, <coughs> actually... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, when we talk about daylight saving, it's, it's it's actually the wrong term, and that's why people get confused. They think that when we go to daylight saving, we're saving light. We're not saving light. We're moving it to the evening. So yeah. uh, what happens now is that we're going to go go back to normal time. So there will be maximum light at twelve in Vancouver. You're right. You're, uh, we're in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Uh, in Vancouver, uh, you really right and smack at the right place in the time zone so the sun is really will be at 12 and now you have light more in the morning and so this is the most important uh, time of day to have light to start your biological clock synchronize it and get going the yeah. uh, the the afternoon um, you know <laughs> loss of light in the afternoon of course is uh, is, is depressive because it's sudden and uh, uh, that's understandable, and uh, people who are sensitive to uh, to to that uh, are affected. Seasonal uh, affective disorders, it, uh, all of these things are there. That's the only uh, disadvantage with uh, returning to uh, standard time. Okay. Uh, yeah. What about the effect the effect on humans as we we do this time change like this weekend it's we are falling back so we get an yeah. extra hour's sleep and which yeah. I guess most people think is great I guess it's easier on the body in the fall than losing an hour in the spring right Oh, oh absolutely there's yeah. a big difference between the fall and the spring you know we hear about accidents and uh, heart attacks and things that's in the spring right. when we lose an hour of sleep in the fall it's uh, much better, as you you, al- you already mentioned it. The only drawback in the, in the fall is the little depressive effect that it has in the afternoon. Okay. 
okay? Right, but right. as I say, for depression, when people are depressed, the cure is to expose uh, themselves to light in the morning. That's how we treat seasonal affective. So that's precisely what's happening. So people have to pay attention to that. Also, for all people who are, tend to have not enough sleep, if you need an alarm clock in the morning to get to work, that means you're sleep deprived. So now you have the chance of getting an additional hour and keeping it on. So the following days you go to sleep an hour earlier. You will fall asleep at the same biological time, you know. So that's the, uh, that's a, it's a great thing, actually, to go back to uh, standard time. Standard time, some, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know, there's there's been this argument here in British Columbia and in many other jurisdictions in North America from people who make the argument, well, why do we do this? Why don't we just get rid of this and just keep the same time year-round? Now, in British Columbia, we did have a process to go to permanent daylight time, permanent yeah. daylight time, and they actually yeah. did a survey in British Columbia and ask the ask people of British Columbia, do you want to scrap this time change and go to permanent daylight time? And it got a huge response and very positive response as well. Let me play a clip here for you, uh, Joseph, of Premier John Horgan on this online survey on the time change. Here he is. The largest consultation we have ever had. It far exceeded cannabis, far exceeded proportional representation, which were at that time the, the, the high water mark. Okay, yeah, it was over 220,000 people responded to this survey, and 93% said, yeah, let's get rid of this seasonal time change and go to permanent daylight time. Here's the thing, though, and I, I think you might agree with me. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we go to permanent standard time instead of permanent daylight time? Like, If we're going to do anything, wouldn't permanent standard time be better? What do you think? Uh, yeah. It's much better. I think that people, you know, survey is the same in, 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 in Alberta and everywhere. People think that daylight saving is saving an hour. It's not. It's just moving, as I said. It's moving light late. So people, we have not experienced, experienced for the last 50 years at least, uh, what, would be ha what would happen if we had uh, daylight saving in the winter. Uh, in in uh, Vancouver, it means that now the sun would rise, you know, at Christmas time. It would rise at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Everybody go to work at in the dark. This is very bad. It's not good for you. It's very difficult, especially kids who get to sit in the class and they haven't slept. They haven't seen the sunlight yet. This has been tried in Russia, but you know, it's just. It, it's, it, it, I think it's really part of it is that notion of daylight saving. Daylight saving is not daylight saving. It's just, we have the same amount of light, and it's much better to have it in the morning and in the afternoon equally. And that's, uh, that's it. I mean, the, the research is, is there. We've reviewed over 100 research, and we know that it's uh, the spring change that's a problem. We know that, uh, it, it, that throughout the summer we have a, what you call social jet lag. You know, we stay up. Uh, it's nice because we've been so much deprived of light, but barbecue and, uh, and uh, golfing uh, late in the... Uh, but everybody with that goes to bed a little later. We lose about, an, uh, on average, one half hour yeah. during the summer. Uh, a day because of that, and then so if we if we don't go back to standard time, we stay daylight. It's going to be year round, and uh, we fear, and that's the prediction, is what Russia has observed, right. that people are not going to like it in the winter at all. 
Well, I, can, I tend to agree with you. Like, if you think about uh, the winter solstice, which is uh, this year, Tuesday, December 21st, is the shortest yeah. shortest day of the year. I mean, yeah. if we went to permanent daylight time at that date, like you said, this, the sunrise would be like 9 a.m. in Vancouver, and it'd be even worse in the northern parts of the country, in the northern parts of our province, Absolutely. right? Yeah, I Absolutely. mean, you'd, you could have the sun coming up in a place like yeah. Prince George at like yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and the more the west, the more you're west of your time zone, the worse it is. You see, that's the problem with Alberta. In, in, in Calgary, you know, 21st September, it's uh, 8 8:39 uh, uh, already. Uh, so if we if they went to uh, 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 daylight saving, 9:30 before the sun would rise in, in, oh, yeah. uh, in Calgary, and then even 10 o'clock in Edmonton and. Uh, I forget the name of the, uh, you know, the other, uh, I, I forget, is it uh, Grand Prairie or something like that? Right. You know, it would be 10 o'clock, you know? Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. Uh, that's what happens in the northern Europe, you know, in Scandinavia, but they're forced to because they're down to about five hours of illumination uh, during the day. During day. Okay. And, uh, and that, the people are depressed there in the winter. They have a lot of issues associated with that. Okay. Professor DeConnick, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I appreciate your expertise today. Yeah, yeah. My pleasure.